Good morning, everyone. Thanks to Zach and our team for leading us in worship and song. And by the way, this is Zach's first full-time Sunday as our worship director. Aren't we glad we have him? Huh? So good to have him. There's a handout, and I don't know if you received it when you came in, but it's it's got all the activities for Huddle Bible Church this fall. I would recommend you to lay your hands on this. And man, we've got all kinds of cool stuff happening. I want to mention a few things. Uh, first, the men's and women's Bible study that begins uh, shortly. Um, they will be going through the book of Acts. It's an exciting journey in the narrative that Luke wrote about the early movement and the progress of the witness. Uh, and then also... Scott Purcell is teaching a biblical worldview class that begins on September 19th. This will be excellent. So you can go to our church center app and sign up for those. And the men's and women's Bible studies in the book of Acts, and that's where we find ourselves today. And our journey through unfolding grace will be in Acts chapter 13. And Acts is divided into three segments. The first one through seven, those first seven chapters speak about the gospel as it pertained to Jerusalem alone. If you remember Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven, he said, there'll be power that comes upon you, and when it comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Acts 1-7, through Judea and Samaria, Acts 8-12, through and then where we find ourselves today, 13-28, through the ends of the earth. So we begin our journey in that end of the earth saga, and we're going to begin at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. I invite you to turn your Bibles to that passage. Luke writes this, he says, Now there were in the church at Antioch. Now Antioch, and you'll see a map in a, in a few moments, but it was a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was an important city, a, a city where multicultural cultures mingled together, an important uh, city of trade. So at, there were church, in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Luke is such a consummate historian, the writer of this narrative. He told his benefactor, Theophilus, he said, I want to give you an orderly account. So order matters, and the order of the names here is very important. Basketball had its Fab Five years ago with those Michigan freshmen. This is the Fab Five of leadership in Antioch. Barnabas is first, more on him later. Then there's Simeon, who's called Niger. Just simply means that he was a black man a distinguished leader. There was Lucius of Cyrene. He was most likely the Lucius that was mentioned from Jerusalem. He went there when the church was planted. He was most likely a black man as well. And then you have Manan. He's an interesting character. He grew up in the household of Herod Antipas. He was his foster brother. And if you remember the story about who Herod Antipas is, he's the one who killed John the Baptist. He's the one that opposed the church on every stage. He was the one who wanted to have an audience with Jesus and Jesus wouldn't talk to him. Do you remember that? That's that Herod. 
But Manan grows up in that household. He's a prince. But yet somehow, because of the grace of God, he becomes a believer. And now he's part of this leadership, a prince of the leadership. And then, of course, you have Saul, who's mentioned last. And Barnabas, well, that wasn't even his real name. His real name was Joseph. He was a priest. He was a native of Cyprus. And some, and your first fill-in-the-blank notes today is the first characteristic I want to mention about him is that he had the coolest nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was known by that moniker early on in church history. This guy loved to encourage people. It was in him. When I think about nicknames in our church, I think about Tracy and Sonia. I think we should just call them hospitality. When they walk through the door, there's Mr. Hospitality. There he is. There's Mrs. Hospitality. When I think of Janine, I'm going to call her Mrs. Compassion. From now on, every time I see her, there she is. When I think about Jamie, and forgive me, I'm thinking about staff because I have the most interaction with them. I think of Mrs. Diligent. She pays attention to such great detail in her service to the Lord. When I think of Ben Haug, I think of Mr. Big Soft Heart. <laughs> he just has that soft heart. When I think about Zach and Trey, I just call them genius. When I think about Ryan Fouts, there's many things I could say about him. Many nicknames. But he's constant and instant in season to do whatever God has called him to do. That's a long nickname, is it not? <laughs> when I think of John, Jonathan, I think of a gentle soul. When I think of my wife, I think of gracious. And when I think about our pastor and his wife, I think it's good to just call them, there's Mr. and Mrs. Pastor, because that's who they are, is it not? Do you have a nickname? Maybe you don't want to repeat it. <laughs> but Barnabas had the coolest nickname. The second thing about him is that he was a sacrificial giver when the church was just birthed after the day of Pentecost. He sold a, a, a parcel of land he had. He came and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was an amazing time where those people had everything in common. Sacrificial in his giving. Luke also calls him a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. Good has the connotation that he's a generous and gentle and noble and brave soul. Full of the Holy Spirit. We've spoken about this on many occasions that we're baptized once into the Holy Spirit, but we are filled numerous times. And so this is a man who understood and daily yielded control of his life to the Holy Spirit. He, by faith, asked God to, to move in his life to fill him and guide him. When the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch to see what was happening, because amazing things were happening there. Gentiles were coming to faith. And I would say to you that the motives of the church in Jerusalem weren't necessarily the most noble. 
But they send Barnabas to investigate, and the, the scriptural narrative says this. When the report of this, the, the, this is that the church is exploding there, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, don't miss this, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You see, Barnabas looked for evidences of God's grace. He had the eyes to see that. There were many things he could have noticed when he went to that church. They don't do church like us. They observed the uh, Jerusalem church, observed the custom, the Mosaic custom. They circumcised their sons. They observed all the feasts. Antioch's not doing that. I don't know about that church. They're not quite doing it the way we are. Barnabas didn't look for that. He looked for God's grace at work among the people's lives. So you have this amazing leadership team. And because of that, incredible things were happening. Christ was blessing this. The church was flourishing. And in that setting, they set Saul and Barnabas apart. Look at with me at verse 2. This leadership team, what they were doing in verse 2 is they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Another translation says they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Don't miss what happened at the beginning of this. That leadership team ministered to the Lord first. Then they ministered to the congregation after that. Do you see the importance of that order? Our assignment, we commit to you, our pastors here, we're going to minister to the Lord first. We're going to seek Him, what His plans are, what His purpose is for this glorious church that we call Hedo Bible. And then we'll share with you, and, 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 and candidly, if a pastor or a, a minister or leader is tempted to compromise that, if they're tempted to minister to people first, that's when you can get off course. So the first among equals of this leadership team and the last are set apart and sent off. Paul and Barnabas had met many years earlier. You remember the story from last week that Pastor Trey so excellently exposited the scripture about Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. He He's in Arabia. He travels to Jerusalem after three years. They reject him. None of the apostles would meet with him, and understandably, they were afraid of him. He was a man without a country. The people that he was raised to serve, this Pharisee, this Sanhedrin, this Hebrew of Hebrews, they rejected him because he had decided to follow Christ, so he, he didn't fit in with them, but he didn't fit with the church either. So when he gets to Jerusalem, none of the apostles will meet with him, but Barnabas vouches for him. The son of encouragement. Paul's ministry, Saul's ministry doesn't stick. They send him back to his hometown of Tarsus and he leaves. And so when Barnabas is sent to the church at Antioch to report on what's happening as the church explodes, as Barnabas sees the grace of God at work in there, 
he recognizes that something's missing. And that something was Saul. So scripture says, Luke in his understated, masterful way says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That word look, there's such depth in one sentence. The word look is really an interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here. It's Acts chapter 11. It's used here. It's also used when Joseph and Mary were looking for Jesus when they left Jerusalem. Do you remember that story? When he was 12? They thought he was in the entourage. They they find out he's not there. Have you ever lost sight of your child? See, the idea of look is a desperate, frantic search. Several years ago, Becky, my wife, had a desire to go on a mission trip to India with a medical team. I had concerns. (laughs) Uh, It was a good team. The the guy that was leading it uh, played football with our youngest son in college. He was a precious guy. But I'm just thinking about her traveling that distance and being in that environment alone, I mean, with them. And so I grabbed this young man, and I know him well, and I told him this. I said, one thing I'm going to ask you to do, don't you ever let her out of your sight. I said, if you do, we're going to have a problem. And I was a younger man then. But I meant what I said to him. Well, she was going to India, And then from there, our son, our youngest son, was a missionary in Indonesia. She was going to fly to Indonesia, to Kuala Lumpur, to Malaysia first. And I was going to fly west and meet them. We had already set up the times, dates. Those of you who know me understand. So I get to the airport at Kuala Lumpur. And when the time for Becky to come and arrive passed, started getting a little concerned. And when, when Joseph's friend showed up, And Becky was not with him. My anxiety level was soaring. And I asked him, I said, where is she? Well, (laughs) I won't say to you what I said at that moment, but I was not happy. And I proceeded to have this desperate, frantic search for where she was. Finally, about an hour and 15 minutes, if my memory serves, before our flight is to leave, she shows up. But that's what it was like for Barnabas. That's what That was the, the driving force when he wanted to find Saul. And when he brings Saul back to Antioch, amazing things happened. There's two questions I want to ask you today based on the leadership of Barnabas based on this text. And I think they're important leadership questions. I think they speak to the issue that's before us as a church today. And here's the first. Like Barnabas, would you be willing to decrease so that someone other than Jesus would increase? Barnabas was the man at Antioch. He was the first leader among equals. The church was exploding. The elders didn't have an action plan for him that he had 30 days to make right. 
No, the church was doing well. But he was willing to risk his position. He was willing to say, maybe I need to become the second fiddle or the third fiddle. Because you see in the kingdom there are no fiddles. Would I be willing to go get a man? That's my first question. The second question is like Barnabas. Do you have eyes to see the grace of God at work around you? Not to see what men are doing or what culture is trying to impose. Not to look at that, but as you're ministering to the Lord, do you have eyes to see the gospel of the grace of God at work? To see the transformational power of the gospel. Do any of you, have you ever, any of you ever watched Gold Rush, the reality show? Well, the days of finding gold in the rivers and streams is basically over, right? I mean, it's no longer where you can, like in Alaska or Sutter's Mill in California, you could find it. Now, as that reality show demonstrates, you have to move tons of dirt to find maybe just a small flask of gold. But at the price of gold, 18, what? 1830 bucks is worth it. Sometimes it's that way with people. We have to move a lot of dirt to find the gold. Aren't you grateful that God moved dirt for you? No wonder so many people were added to this church. No wonder disciples of Christ were first called Christians here. This leadership. Humble leadership, willing to decrease, looking for the evidences of grace of God, full of the Holy Spirit. This leadership was poised for the gospel to explode in the nations. And that brings us to when they send him off. It's verse three. So after fasting and praying, they laid their, the leadership laid their hands on them, Barnabas and Saul, and sent them off. Here's a map of this first journey. You see Antioch, the little dot. They go, they sail across to the island of Cyprus. This was Barnabas's home island. Mission starts at home. And that's why this class that Scott is teaching is going to be so important to us. And I'm glad we've had a, a significant number of people sign up. I encourage you to look at this biblical worldview class. Barnabas and Saul were uniquely qualified to minister to that place. It was Barnabas's home island. It was they spoke the language, they knew the culture. And as they traversed across the island, they spoke about the gospel. It was all about Jesus. It was all about his resurrection. There were some amazing stories. The Roman leader of the island is saved. But there's opposition. And so Saul speaks to him in this amazing way. And then this other magician that opposed him, and the, the power of God was unleashed at that moment. And Luke does something amazing, writing years later about his friend. And by the way, Luke and Paul and Saul were very, very close. Luke says this in an understated way, Saul becomes Paul. I want you to think about this. Saul's been in obscurity for years. After he was sent home to Tarsus, it's most 
Scholars think it was seven years. Do you ever wonder if he thought God had forgotten him? Do you ever wonder if he thought, God, you said I would be a a, a light to the Gentile nation, but here I am. I'm on the shelf. My ministry didn't work. No one listened to me in Damascus, in Jerusalem. I was rejected by the church at Jerusalem. He's getting nearing middle age. But because of the faithfulness of Barnabas and because of the providence of God, now Saul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the poster child of Judaism, becomes Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles. Maybe you're in a place of obscurity right now. The Lord called you many years ago. But it just hasn't seemed to work out. Your ministry hasn't stuck in your mind. You wonder if he's forgotten you. Can I share with you this morning, beloved? Don't give up. Like he did with Saul. The Lord hasn't given up on you. And maybe your assignment is to be like Barnabas. Maybe someone is coming to your mind right now that you know their story and you know about them and you can vouch for them like Barnabas did with Saul. Maybe you know a person like that and God may be impressing on you this morning. I want you to reach out to them. I want you to be a son of encouragement to them. I'm willing to set aside my place so you might have yours. After all, is that not what grace is all about? Grace is that that we don't get what we deserve, but that we get what we don't deserve. So Paul and Barnabas travel from the island of Cyprus. On the, I'll show you, direct your attention to the map. They travel out through modern-day southern Turkey. Amazing things happen. Whole cities show up to hear the gospel. Great numbers of people believe in Christ. Miracles happen. Gentiles Multiple Gentiles, as opposed to Jews, come to faith. Glorious news, right? And Paul and Barnabas are thrilled about what's happened, and they go back to Antioch to report. And you would think that they would have this huge celebration, and they did at Antioch. But it wasn't so for the church in Jerusalem. Because you see storm clouds are beginning to brew. Look at chapter 15 of Acts with me in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Beloved church, this is heresy. This is a lie. Are we not under cultural pressures today, social pressures that will teach unless you do something other than the grace of God, receive the grace of God, you're not saved? I'm going to ask this rhetorically. Can any of you think of examples? I can. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? People will say, unless you do this, I'm not talking about receiving Christ and following him. Unless you do this, you can't be saved. I've really been forbidden, I think, by the Spirit of giving you an example. 
but I think you can think of. Let me just tell you, beloved church, that's wrong. Anything other than the gospel, the gospel plus anything is never a good idea. It's just never a good idea. In fact, it's horrible. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was thinking about this situation. You see, the the second verse of that 15th chapter is that they go and have Paul and Barnabas have dissension and debate. Those English words don't do justice to what's happening there. They had a fight with those guys, with those men. They said, what are you saying? And think about this. When you want to talk about someone who understood Judaism, Paul was the poster child. He knew it better than those guys. But what he had seen, because he had experienced it in his own life, is it's it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that you're saved. It has nothing to do with following a set of rules or customs. Jesus fulfilled that. The law was only given to point out to us that we need a Savior. The law was given to point out to us that none of us could do it. So Paul, recognizing in Barnabas, the horrors of that teaching fight with them. They have this conference. Peter steps up and says, why are we doing this with Gentiles? We couldn't even keep it as Jews. Why are we asking the Gentiles to do it? Hey, it's by grace alone. Let's do that. Paul and Barnabas give the report. But then James, the brother of Jesus, comes up with these four things that they want to add. And Paul and Barnabas have to go back and sell that to the church of Antioch. I wonder if all this experience of Paul, and by the way, these type of guys followed him around all of his ministry, telling the churches that he planted, look, okay, it's it's wonderful what you've heard about the gospel of the grace of God, but you need to do these things. You need to circumcise your kids. You've got to... No. Paul was writing to the church of Corinth addressing some issues that they were having. Imagine that. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> I, need to, I need to have this thing that says, laugh now, Ron, right here. Like <laughs> laugh, insert laugh here. So he's writing to them, and he's dealing with a multitude of issues. And, but he finally gets to where he says in chapter 15 of, of that first letter of Corinthians, he says, I delivered this to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He goes on to explain how that process looked. And then he said this, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And brothers and sisters, that's true of every single one of us in here who follow Christ. It's only God's grace. He talked about those apostles That wouldn't receive him. He said, I worked harder than any of those guys. But it was not I. He said, it was the grace of God that's within me. First importance. May I just ask you to consider this morning that the transformational power in our life to deal with whatever situation we may be facing. And of course, it was true with our salvation that by grace alone we're saved. But I can do, I want to share with you this morning that that transformational power of grace will fit in whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now. 
You may come in here today and your marriage is, is challenged. Can I just share with you that the gospel of the grace of God is first importance? You may come in here today and you wonder if even if the church is relevant. Well, listen, the church of Jesus Christ is in good hands. Christ will build his church. But it's the grace of God that will bring the transformational power of your into your life. When the doctor's report comes back and you have devastating news, the grace of God is what will get you through that time. When it's the dark nights of your soul, God's grace will see you through. Would you make it first importance? in your life. We understand there are cultural pressures that are being brought to bear, the societal pressures upon the American church. Understand from outside, I think most insidious are the pressures that are being brought to bear from inside the church. Not quite the same as what Jerusalem was trying to do to Antioch, but similar in nature, wanting to impose certain beliefs, certain systems of belief on the church, implying that you need to conform to these in order to be saved. By the way, the church of Jesus Christ is in good hands, is it not? He's not at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, wringing his hands, wondering about what's going to happen in the church, in the world. In fact, what he told Peter, and you you know it, I'm going to build my church. I, singular possessive. It's always been that way. It always will be. The church of Jesus Christ is in good hands, and it will remain in good hands until he returns gloriously, just like we sing. The challenge for us is can we learn the lessons from the church at Antioch? Will we be leaders like Barnabas and those others that are willing to decrease so others might increase? Are we willing to have eyes to develop vision to see the evidences of the gospel of the grace of God around us? Are we willing to set a north star of the first importance matters? So we, as part of the church of Jesus Christ, can be ascending church like they were. Not just missions globally, but our Jerusalem, our Judea, and Samaria as well. I believe I'm speaking to a group of people that want to do that. So as we go, as you consider these things, may the Lord bless and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance to you this day. And may He give you His peace. There will be elders at the front that would be delighted and honored to pray with you and share with you about any matter that's before you. You're loved. And God bless you today. You're dismissed.